Hey folks, welcome to episode 20, episode 20 of Existential. I'm like, wow, I'm I'm speechless that we've got 20 episodes in. Um, We got 20 20 episodes in because, in large part, because you folks are listening to it. And I appreciate that. I think it's a good way to, to a good thing to express. I do appreciate it. I think that um, it means that you are hearing the conversations and they're resonating with you. And that's a good feeling to have, I guess, on this side of the microphone. I remember the first episode, um, I said that we were going to dive into some messy content. We weren't going to steer away from things that may make people uncomfortable or may not necessarily be something that everyone agrees with. that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to have conversations that are about the human experience and the human experience is oftentimes messy. Now, the reason I'm introducing this particular episode is because it is of a particularly triggering um, type of messiness. We're going to listen to the story of a woman who talks about her story of abuse her story of coming close to ending her own life. And I just wanted to be very cautious with any listeners who may be triggered, uh, who may feel like it's not something that you can deal with listening to right now. I want to be very sensitive to anyone who may be in that boat. I mean, let me just tell you the truth. When I, after recording this episode, I shared it with a mental health professional friend of mine. And I said, hey, listen, I want to know what to do with this. This is an incredible story, but I don't want to trigger people unnecessarily or do any harm to folks. And and they assured me that this episode was one that needed to be heard. So with that recommendation and with my own sort of thoughts about the importance of telling stories that are hard to hear, but have an ongoing process of healing, I thought, well, you know, let's share it. Let this let let's let's share this story. And I'm especially grateful to be sharing it during Women's History Month, during a month where I have personally been doing my own work to understand and to listen to the stories of women, to read authors, uh, female authors, watch television that centers the female experience and the power that is womanhood. And so I am super grateful to be able to have had so many incredible women on the podcast, especially over the last uh, three or four episodes. So without further ado, I want you to uh, sit back and listen to episode 20 of Existential. This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. What's up, folks? Today on the podcast, I have my good friend, Grace Sandra, who is a mom a writer, um, a speaker, an advocate, and a survivor, which I will get into in just a moment. And when I met Grace, I was very uh, impressed by her thoughts on the world and how she like articulates 
uh, issues of race, racism, and and any sort of like advocacy for people who are pushed to the side or oppressed in any way. So Grace, thanks for coming on the podcast. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a long time. Thank you so much, Corey. I appreciate that. Yeah. So what are, what are you doing now, Grace, by the way? Like you, or you, you live somewhere cold. I know that. I, I think I, I think I do remember <laughs> that. What, 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 what are you up to these days? I live in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Thank you very much. And yes, it is cold. Um, so right now I work full-time at a nonprofit at a library, actually. So I supervise a bunch of uh, library aides. It's actually really great. I love it. It's, it's the perfect full-time work for me right now. But what I'm really passionate about is writing. So I write and I try to do as much advocacy slash activism as I can in everything I'm doing. And I'm trying to, you know, be a creative entrepreneur. Yeah, you're trying to do a lot while being a survivor, uh, while also, like, raising kids. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, you, and you have a, a kind of a unique situation with with raising your your children. Do you want to want to talk get into any of that or talk about that? Yeah, I mean, so I'm in a situation where um, I am co-parenting with two baby daddies. So I was divorced twice. Well, actually, my second divorce is coming really soon. So yeah, it's not for the faint of heart. I do not recommend it. Mm. <laughs> I don't recommend <laughs> divorce in general, but. This is how life has worked out. So I'm trying to do the best I can with it. But yeah, it's challenging. It's really challenging to not have all my kids all the time and to have them at different times too. So I, I try really hard to have them together more often than not. Because um, yeah. the baby, she's three and a half. She misses her brothers. You know, she'll always ask, "Can I can I go wake them up from school or stuff like that?" And I'm like, "They're not here today." So it's just it's just it's not. It's not ideal. It's not how I wanted life to be or saw life to, to go, you know? Yeah. But you, you, you know what, what I'm, what I'm really fascinated about Grace is, is I, as I follow you on social media and anytime I talk to you or uh, we're both, um, we both are whatever we are, team, teammates, team members for the Hope and Hard Pills team with Andre Henry. So we, you know, we talk quite a, quite a bit because of that. And you always seem to be, um, expressing what you're feeling in the most authentic way you know so like when you're experiencing joy you, you can tell that and you let the world know that and when you're experiencing grief you let the world know that and and i think that's so refreshing that you are so willing to put out all of what you're experiencing and walking through uh, and sharing your story like that what what makes you so able to do that and feel so free to just say, I'm not just going to show you my joy and when I'm winning and when I'm up, I'm going to show you my entire life. Well, thank you. First of all, that was really nice of you to say, <clears throat> but so, yeah, I think I've had to, I really had to come to terms with this because there's been times where people have said, you need to stop sharing, you know, or this makes me uncomfortable, or I think it's a bit much, or, you know, especially people who aren't in kind of the right of writing or creative space, they really think that it's mm -hmm. like encroaching on their boundaries for you to share what's going on with you. <laughs> Just really? Kind of, that's, people have actually, people have actually made, centered themselves in your story like that. Well, yeah, because people who aren't writers or they don't come to social media to, to, to create people who only come to social media to consume, they tend to get really nitpicky about how other people create. So I've found that oh, everyone outside of the creative space has really been very uncomfortable. They're like, why don't you just stop? They really don't get 
trying to create some form of art, whatever it is, through, you know, trying to express yourself through art. So, so yeah, so I've had to think about this. And what I came to terms with when I really thought about it is that I've always been this way and social media became another medium for it. So this hasn't been. Oh, okay. Yeah, this hasn't been like this huge turning point for me. Like one day, oh, I, I'm going to just share my feelings. I I recognize that I started doing this in sixth grade, <laughs> long before the internet. Because oh, <laughs> so where I started sharing. Stories, <laughs> yes, I'm old. Um, and I was sharing stories through written, like actually handwritten notes. <laughs> in high school wow. which is like typical wow. of a lot of girls in high school right but i was actually like sharing i would write a story like almost like a blog post and i would write it three or four different times and send it to three or four different of my friends and then once i realized like when uh myspace <laughs> i was original <laughs> in MySpace. once i realized there was like a note section in myspace it was all over at that point it was like oh my gosh i can write my story <laughs> more than one person can read at a time so I've been doing this for a very long time. This is not like, oh, I just decided, oh, now there's IG stories. I'll start sharing shit. Oh, sorry. I don't know if you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, you, you, aren't, you, aren't, you aren't the first, nor will you be the last to, to, to say that on the podcast. So feel, feel free to say what, what, you know, I think that strong emotions need strong words. That's, that's my mantra in life. So when you, if yeah. you, you, say, you say it how you feel it. Right. So anyway, but I, what I found was very quickly in writing on MySpace that people were resonating and I was getting a lot of feedback from people who were like, wow, I never had this articulated like this, or I never thought about this, or I never felt brave enough to share that this thing has happened to me. Um, and, and I was already speaking quite a bit at that time for what I was doing for work with, and I was, I served with university Mm -hmm. Christian fellowship for a long time. So I was doing a lot of speaking. So I was sharing yeah, I was all, I just kind of always been this person. I started sharing pretty young, actually in high school, there are people asking me to speak to other high schools and I was like, okay, like, I can speak there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell my little insignificant story. But the more that I have told, the more that I've realized people with me and I have something to say. Um, so yeah, that's how it got started. You and I both hail from the Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the Christian tradition, you know, today, the verse of the day today, as an example, is um, blessed are they who mourn for they will be comforted. But we're recording this on Ash Wednesday. So I imagine that that's why the, the morning verse is there. But I feel like when most people see or read or hear that verse, they are focusing on the comfort. Um, and not necessarily focusing on the blessed are they who mourn. So it almost sounds like there's like a, there's a, a, a goodness and a benefit to mourning because you're blessed when you do. Um, and I watch you do some mourning uh, publicly. And I just think that's really, again, I can't say enough how, much, how dope I think that is. Now, when you, when you read that verse or when you think about grief, as a person who comes from the Christian tradition, how what do you think about grief and mourning and, and sadness and all that kind of stuff? It's interesting. I think my beliefs have really morphed because the unhealthy side of evangelicalism used to believe that that somehow made me holier. Um, it's mm. particularly in college. I don't know where I picked that belief up, but like there is a time 
this is going to sound so crazy. I think this is why some people really hate Christians. <laughs> but there was a time where, <laughs> where me and my friends thought that if we prayed for suffering, that we would come closer to Jesus and that that's what we needed to do. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was wow. like straight up hardcore. Like I was reading Jim Elliott and, you know, um, missionaries who died on the field and how that was honorable. I mean, I was really, really hardcore. <laughs> super duper christian so um this was in college and then um needless to say a long time has passed and i'm in a much different place so now now i do feel like well first of all i find i do find comfort in suffering from my faith that hasn't changed Mm -hmm. but i don't believe that god Mm -hmm. needs me to suffer for me to come be comforted um, or that I, yeah, or that yeah, I yeah. have to rush into suffering somehow so that I'm a better person or have a better life or have a closer connection to God. Because truly, I just believe we're all suffering. Everyone is suffering just to some. Mm. It's, mm. it's a different extent. But who on this earth is not suffering? I just don't believe yeah. there isn't anyone who's going through life scotch-free. So, so, yeah, so now I believe that it's part of the human experience. And whether or not we want to seek comfort from God is up to us. Wow. Now you got, I think I saw that you have um, some like theological degrees. Is, is that, is that right? Uh, no, I never finished. I did start a master's of divinity um, and I got okay. about halfway through it. And then I realized I really wasn't interested in finishing it. Got you. I mean, I, I mean, we have, I have, we have friends who are, who, who, who lament um, getting their degree in that feeling like yeah. that, you know, they wish they would have done, <laughs> done something different. So, I do. Um, I really do. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you just wrote a book mm-hmm. and you were telling me before we started recording this about the sections of the book and I'm intrigued by those sections. I'm also intrigued to read the book uh, someday. <laughs> somebody, somebody was, somebody was supposed to send me a copy and they didn't. I'm not, I'm not going to say any names of who did it. Okay, we're just going to leave that. We're going to leave that out of the podcast entirely. But like what um, talk about the sections of the book? Well, first, actually, let's do this. Talk about what made you write the book, why you thought it was important, uh, and then sort of talk through like the sections of it. Okay, so the reason why I so basically the book is a compilation of things that I have blogged about in the last 10 years and some new pieces that I had never shown or or never, Mm -hmm. never posted anywhere. The reason why I did it is because I started a memoir about a decade ago and I had been promising the internets that I was going to publish this memoir. And then (laughs) I got divorced for the first time. And it really just threw my life in such a conundrum. Like it just blew up. Mm. My life blew up. Um, Mm. And then I thought I should just get married again to make it right. (laughs) And then that too blew up. So what a surprise. And so I just stopped working on that book. And then last year, I it's thought, 11 hours. I apologize. I thought that wouldn't happen. That's right. Let me start. Okay. So then last year, I thought that um, I don't want to succumb to the challenges of life. I really want to just get something out there. So that's kind of how I decided to do it. It's not that long. Um, I just I wanted to self-publish something and I didn't want to wait to be chosen because I think I I was just kind of apprehensive, like someone's going to be like, oh, yeah, well, you, you've let your blog die a slow death. You know, you've you've given up on yourself. You don't have a platform anymore. Mm. We don't mm. you know, you've got to do this and that and this and all these hoops in order to be published. And I just felt like I don't really want to go through that. So I'm just going to go ahead and self-publish. And that way I get to choose what I want in it. 
and let it be as scandalous as yeah. I want. So yeah, so <laughs> our, um, our love lost faith in black womanhood. And mm. I, I basically had, I'm not even kidding, like probably 60 or 80,000 words. And I trimmed it down to 24,000 words in just four sections. I just thought, why not do a part two? I mean, hell, why not? <laughs> so why not? Why not? So I have enough to do a part two, but I wanted to. I also want to just dip my toes in self-publishing and see what that was like. And um, and and all of this has happened while I've been in some really, really serious trauma. So even that process, probably the book could have been more successful. But right when I published it, a bunch of trauma happened and had ha- has been happening since January. So, um, I'm sorry, January was when finally I got a bit of a reprieve from it, but, um, even that has been sidelined by life continuing to blow up as the consequences of all of this. So, mm. you know, but I'm glad it's out there. I mean, I, I literally yeah. rest easy at night cause I'm like, wow, if something happens to me or, if, you know, I walk out in front of a truck tomorrow, I'm really, really, really grateful. Those words are out there. I'm grateful. My kids will be able to read them one day. I'm just, I'm happy it's out there. It just, it, it really did something for me. And I knew it was going to, I knew I had wow. to do it as the first step to, to being a full-time author, which is really what I want to do. So I'm, yeah, I'm glad. So telling your story, telling your story as traumatic and vulnerable and uh, dark at times as it may have been was, it brought you peace to share that with the world. Yeah, specifically with the book and some of the things that I think that you have seen. Are are you referencing like my IG stories? (laughs) Well, yeah, that but I was more referencing what you just said about the book and how like you sleep well at night because it's out there because those words are out there. And and I thought it was really beautiful, too. when you said that that my children, you know, one day will be able to read that. And not only your children, your your grandchildren should, you know, should we figure out the climate change thing? And and there are grandchildren. (laughs) But like, I mean, you know. Should should your grandchildren be alive, or should the earth? Yeah, exactly. You know, but but people in the future will will see those words, and it sounds like what you're saying is that that's comforting and that brings you peace. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I think it was one of those moments where it was like, uh, you know, Simba (laughs) getting knocked on the head by whatever (laughs) whatever that was a baboon, where he's like, "It is the baboon." Man, oh my god. What was his name? Rafiki is it Rafiki? That is Rafiki. Yes, nice. I thought I thought I thought it was going to be one of those things that I'd have to come back in, edit in, edit the name in later because we neither one of us would remember. Well, yeah, I felt like it was like that. It was like remember who you are, like who you fundamentally were made to be. Ooh, is someone wow. who tells stories and shares your life and vulnerabilities and and advocates for others at the same time. That is who I do believe God has fundamentally created me to be. And so it was like, even though this is imperfect, it's not, you know, there's, there's edits that were wrong, unfortunately, that weren't caught, just a few. But, um, and even though the process was imperfect, the marketing was hella imperfect, I still felt like this is fundamentally who you are. And this is a really good first step towards getting back to yourself. And I think I've been, I've let myself be sidelined by men and marriage and divorce and all of this ish. Um, And I think once I realized, like, I don't have to be anymore. I don't have to be beholden to men <laughs> and what I think they want from me in order to be validated and survive on this planet. Once I realized that, that really opened up a lot of freedom for me. And I think being in an abusive marriage was really the tipping point 
it's hard to say I'm glad for it. It's very, very difficult. I wouldn't articulate it that way, but it did wake me the hell up. Mm. Like, are you going to live like this for the rest of your life? Really? So, because all, I just got got chills. I just got chills listening to you say all that stuff. Yeah. I've had chills. (laughs) (laughs) But no, that was, it was just really powerful. I mean, it just was really like a, like like a moment, and 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 it felt very liberating to hear you say those things. It felt very strong, um, you know. And now you you mentioned like being in an abusive relationship, um, and, and that's something that I've seen you talk about on IG and in your Instagram stories. Um, it, it now is that something you feel comfortable talking about as as how you've dealt with that, how you came through that, what what it was like you know, for you sort of having a transformation where you said, well, I don't have to put up with this. Like, it's, do, do you want to share any of that story? I don't want to, you know, drive that. If that's something where you're like, no, I don't want to talk about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm willing to talk about it. I'm in a much better okay. right now. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so well, I can can, share something that might be helpful in terms of why I was sharing. That might be a good starting place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in the beginning, when I first, when he first started um, being abusive, obviously it took me off guard because that's not how the relationship started. It never is. Or else a woman would just be like, I don't want this. I'm going to go. But (laughs) you start off feeling like you're the most loved woman in the world. But um, Hmm. once I realized what was happening, I started trying to teach myself how to share uh, without his gaze, like almost like there's something going on, but I don't know what it is. And that's in part what I was actually facing. What I was facing um, is typically referred to as narcissistic abuse, which is it covers Mm -hmm. the gamut. It's emotional abuse. It's sexual. It's physical. It's spiritual. It's psychological. It just includes so many behaviors. So you're just completely in a dense fog you can't find your way out of it because when you're being psychologically abused you're being told that you're crazy yourself and that you're not experiencing what you're experiencing so there's constant gaslighting there's constant betrayals and lies and it really is a form of emotional torture and i've never experienced anything anything like it and i have been abused before uh, in my childhood Mm. Mm. i've went through some hell and i've never experienced anything like this (laughs) so it took me a long time to figure out what the hell was even happening to me. Um, mm. So I was trying to write it out because I just felt like I don't think I am crazy. And I, I just wanted to write about it, but I also didn't want to be beat up for it. And I was really, like, afraid <laughs> of, of the repercussions mm. of sharing. So all of a sudden, sharing turned into not just like, oh, hey, here, I'm trying to help people. It turned into more of like, I'm not going to survive if I don't share this because I literally feel like I'm my mind. Also, I wanted people to know I'm really going through something so significant. I can't even articulate it to you. I really wish someone had just died. So I could just say someone died and I'm grieving as if someone had died. Um, Mm -hmm. I found myself being jealous of people who had people in their life die and they could just say, I'm grieving because my husband died. Wow. Or I'm grieving because I have breast cancer and I'm, I'm, the grief is so big. I don't know what to do with it. And that's what I felt like. Like, I'm not safe. I don't feel like my kids are safe. I don't feel safe. I don't know how to tell anybody. 
or even say anything about mm-hmm. it. So sharing became much more than just like operating in my gifts. It was, and then at some point it became, I need serious help and I don't, I, I have to share this. I also wanted proof um, because, you know, when you're being gaslit, um, I didn't know, mm-hmm. I, I knew part of what was being told to other people. And I knew that there were people who weren't believing me. And that was incredibly difficult. So I wanted to be able, if I needed to, to pull off pages and pages and pages of things I had written just in case it came to a point where somebody would say, none of this ever happened to you. I could be like, oh, yeah, then why did I write about it online for two years? <laughs> you know, I really wanted to have receipts. Um, so, so yeah, sharing became more of a lifesaver. And then then it got to a point where I where I wanted to ask for financial help. And I wanted to be able to say, I need to get out of this house. I need, I need a lot of things. Um, and I did not have the support of domestic violence shelters because you have to really have like photographs of being beat up or black eyes. And, you know, you have to be experiencing, uh, typically, yeah, typically people who help abuse women do not have, uh, they don't have the structure for narcissistic abuse. So I couldn't get help or a restraining order or anything like that. Um, And I was at the point where I was looking into shelters because I felt like I'm going to go crazy or I'm going to hurt myself and then what's, or I'm going to kill myself. And then what's going to be said is, see, I told you she was crazy. You know, she killed herself. Um, So it was just a, it was sharing became and also i shared too because i really needed the solidarity i really needed someone to say hey i see you i hear you i I recognize that you feel completely alone um and also i was losing friends um if you're in an abuse situation and you share it too much you do lose people because they get overwhelmed by you um and i was realizing that there were people actually even good friends who were like i'm overwhelmed by this situation i can't really help you um, which is fine. You know, I get that. Um, but it's still very difficult. <laughs> so I realized I was overwhelming people. And I realized that the closer I got, the more the stories became unbelievable, more and more unbelievable. It's just very difficult for someone to see normal functioning humans and think that they're capable of that kind of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, that they just literally don't believe it. And that's really what a lot of narcissists are. They're very, very highly capable, highly loved, highly respected people. So it just becomes more and more isolating for the victim. Um, So I did find um, one person who reached out to me who was going through the same thing, but worse, much worse. And um, we ended up having, and still do have an amazing friendship. She reached out to me and she was like, I think maybe you're going through what I'm going through. Um, and it was interesting because she was able to read through the lines. People who didn't know what was going on, they had no clue. Like, oh, Grace is just sad about something again, you know. But people who really have experienced this kind of abuse was able to read through the lines. So so there were a few people. So, And then I've also been pretty active in a few, like a divorce support group. And, um, and then eventually I became very active in a few narcissistic abuse support groups. Um, and then, uh, then I did have some people who were willing to help. And, it was life-saving in some way. I think, I think if I hadn't had any internet to deal with any of this online, I, I probably would have killed myself because I didn't have anybody locally and friends, some of my good friends who I was reaching out to who were overwhelmed, and I didn't have his family support 
the way that I was hoping. So I was just isolated. So if I didn't, if I wasn't sharing, I just don't know I'd be alive. Oh my gosh, Grace, that is um, such a yeah. like deep, real, like rich truth that you just shared. And I mean, wow. Like when the part that really struck me was early on when you talked about how you hoped for other people's grief, like the loss of a loved one, or I got, you know, a, a, a fatal diagnosis from the doctor. Now, it sounded like what you were saying is because then people would understand you more, or uh, is that is that what was that what you were sort of saying? Like that that if you had what people could understand as a quote unquote normal reason for grief that they could understand you would feel that you'd get more of a more support from people was that part of it or is that any of it at all like what what could you say a little bit more about that portion of what you said because I was just really really fascinated by that yeah I felt like if I were able to say here's how I'm grieving and here's what's happening to me and this is such a evil, horrible, horrible thing that's happening. Yeah, I do feel like I would have gotten more support. Honestly, I feel like if I could have said he was throwing me down the stairs, I would have gotten more support. But mm. anytime I said I am in a very horrible position, if you've never been through psychological torture, you don't know how hard it is. And they would be like, but is he hitting you? <laughs> mm. And then I would say, mm. well, yes, there's been some level of like a physical stuff that I'm not super comfortable with, but no, he's not punching me. No, he's not throwing me down the stairs. No, I'm not being kicked in the stomach. And they're like, oh, okay, well then you should be all right. You know? And I'm like, mm. no, you, you, you don't understand. Like this is, <laughs> I was like really trying to get this out. So I, I did feel jealous of other people who had something they could point to and just say, this is extremely difficult and have like 30 or 40 or 50 people be like, oh my gosh, yes, I can see how difficult it was. And also there was a point where I was, when I was trying to like raise money to leave and I was asking people to share um, anonymously because I just didn't want to, you know, right. Right. It just felt too risky. Um, I felt like if people really understood what I was going through and the level of trauma I was in, they would have more ardently shared or would have done more or said more. So I knew that there was a disconnect. And at some point I actually had to come to grips with it. And other people told me like, if someone has never been through narcissistic abuse before, do not like stop expecting them to understand or help you or share because it's, it's literally so crazy traumatizing. Unless you've experienced it, you're not going to understand it. And they just basically have said, stop, just basically stop, stop doing that. People who've not been through it are not going to understand the pain of it. There's no way. There's no way. Stop trying to. And so that helped me. It really, really did help because I was just like, yeah, I was feeling kind of hopeless. And I was like, please, like, I need help so bad. It's I'm ex physically experiencing the same level of trauma in my brain as if I were being thrown down the stairs every day, as if I were being kicked in the stomach three times a day. Like, I mean, my brain is experiencing that level of trauma. And it's just really difficult for people to get that. Which is, which is fine. Um, I, I have come to terms yeah. with that, that people might yeah. never understand who have experienced. And now, thankfully, I have a lot of narcissistic abuse survivors around me, not personally, but like in groups and things that really get what it's like to be abused on so many different levels um, and really understand solidarity and support. It's really, really helpful to have.
Now, you found support and you found people came forward and, and, and said, it sounds like your story is my story. Were there people who came forward and said, thank you, like, you know, you typically have a, when, when someone you don't know or that you do know names something that you're feeling, you just, you feel seen, you feel supported, you feel, you know, like you're not alone. Did you have a lot of that with you sharing your story and people coming forward saying, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I thought I was, I thought it was just me. Yeah, I did. Um, actually, a lot of women who wanted to ask me questions were like, I, I wonder if this is what I'm experiencing. And so I've, I've had two people, two women who have, as a result of us communicating, realized like this is what they were experiencing. Because I'm not kidding you, Corey, it takes a long time sometimes to understand because you are so deceived into thinking that, you, that everything is wrong with you that you literally get to a point where you think you're losing your mind and that you're not experiencing this. <laughs> so it can take a long time besides the fact that it's difficult to finally believe it. Like this man who I've been for, with for 10 years or whatever, and now I have to believe that he's an abuser. It's, it's a leap. It's really a leap. I think that it's, it's very difficult to say this. I'm going to say this, but it's very hard to say because it's just a hell of a comparison. But I have wondered so many times if, um, women, black women who were slaves felt a similar sense of mm. what it is mm. like to experience uh, emotional torture and what narcissistic abuse feels a little bit like that because they were, the reason why I draw the comparison is because they were born into it and right. it's all they ever knew. And so I wonder what it would be like to have a conversation with some a woman after 60 years who was a slave and realized like this is so far from reality, you know, how that would be accepted. I don't know. It's very difficult for me to draw that connection because I just don't like drawing the connection like <laughs> between anything. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, but it's not like it's, it's not like it's a, it's a leap. It, it doesn't sound like a leap to me. From yeah, what because you're of the level of hell, yeah. I want to respect their level of hell. But I do think that there are so many similarities to psychological abuse and what the slaves went through. Um, so, um, what helped you discover and name what you were going through? Well, um, I started Googling, <laughs> I started Googling <laughs> things because, um, because for the first nine or 10 months, I felt like something's wrong. Something's really wrong. I shouldn't feel like this. And so I really, it was that, and that's what led me to a book about verbal abuse. And then I realized, so I read that book and realized I was being very, very severely verbally abused. So that just, that just tells you something right there that I went nine months without even knowing, like on a scale when I took this quizzes and, you know, went through what the book says, this is verbal abuse, that it was on a severe scale for nine or 10 months. And I literally thought something was wrong with me. Um, that's how deceived I had been. So that was where I thought, oh, I'm with a verbal abuser, right? So I thought that's all it is. And then, you know, three or four months later, realized I'm with someone who's gaslighting me constantly and is betraying me constantly and lying to me constantly. Then I thought, am I with a pathological liar? So I'm doing more and more Googling. And then, like, it took another, literally, it took, from that point on, it took three years for me to put it all together. Once I got into the narcissistic abuse, abuse groups and realized, like, when you put all of these things together, this is what it is. But I fought with it because there were people who brought it up to me in 2018. And I'm like, no way. There's no way he's a narcissist. There's no way. That's not it. Maybe he has some narcissistic abuse or narcissistic tendencies, but it's not this. It's not this. 
So I didn't even want to accept it then because I was still on this. I, I think I still think he really loves me, like just really deep down. He just may be incapable of showing it, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, because yeah. I was really, really trauma bonded. Um, I had Stockholm syndrome syndrome really bad by that point. Once I realized he was an abuser, but I didn't want to leave. It was just like, no, because it's better to be with an abuser than to be alone. Wow. Um, and I didn't, that, that lasted for a long time. And then when I started trying to pull away, then I realized I was so severely trauma bonded. Um, and that's harder to, to put down than heroin. Wow. So, dang. Yeah, yeah. That people say people who have been trauma bonded and heroin addicts have said it's harder to stop being trauma bonded than than to stop being a heroin addict. Um, which is why abused women go back seven or eight times, up to nine times, usually before they get killed. And I think when I added up the number of times I tried to leave over the course of four years, or tried to even try to convince myself to leave, I I counted those two. It has been about seven or eight times, and this. If you know, like not if, because I'm I'm certain that we're done, um, would be like the ninth attempt because of trauma bonds and the severity of them. It literally felt like I was dying. Mm. Especially from this past September to this January, everything hit came to a head in January, and I thought I was going to die. Because of grief. Not even like I was gonna kill myself. Like I literally thought my body would stop working. <laughs> like my heart was so yeah, because it, it, it manifests as physical. That's why people who have been abused typically have um, adrenal failure and, you, you know, they die young, heart attacks and stress attacks and all sorts of things because your, your body is experiencing such profound stress and grief and it's just, it's impossible. If you keep, if you're trauma bonding, you keep going back to it. It's really such a mind conundrum. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. I'm echoing on your end. You're oh, no, echoing? I wasn't just then. Hello? Check, oh. check. I'm not anymore. I was. I'm not now. Oh, okay. Um, dang. I, I, like, I'm just, I'm hearing you share this story, and I'm feeling, like, really heavy, man. Like, like you know, as, a, as a, I guess I should feel. Um. But it's it's just it it just sounds like such a real experience. Where, where are you now? Like today, right now, today. Um, what are you feeling? What are you processing? How are you putting one foot in front of the other? So right now, today, I am six months out from living with my abuser, and we are just a few months out from our divorce being finalized. And I am probably four or five weeks out from feeling majorly better. And the difference, what has made an extraordinary difference in my life is doing EMDR therapy, which for those who don't know, EMDR stands for eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing. <laughs> Sorry, I said that slow because I kind of always forget. But basically it's <laughs> something that um, uh, has been very well researched and known to really help cure complex post-traumatic stress disorder, um, which is what I developed. And I also developed at some point acute stress disorder, which is basically just another way that makes it incredibly difficult to manage adulting. 
but CPTSD has been horrendous and the trauma bonding of the last four or five months have been horrendous. So that's what made a difference. I mean, when I started EMDR, I went in there like on my last, last leg. Um, I had take, I had to take like two weeks off of work and I was extremely suicidal. I was crying all day, every day and really felt like I can't handle life. I need to kill myself or I need to check in somewhere or something like I can't deal with this anymore. And I also didn't feel any hope because we share a child and we've been sharing We've been seeing each other every day to interact in terms of basically just um, taking her from one house to the next and things like that. And and when you're divorcing, you're un, you're unearthing everything. You know, you're dissecting money and bills, and so there's a lot of communication. And when you have a dynamic where someone's empowered for you and they get pleasure from hurting you, mm-hmm. even on a subconscious level. Um, it, it means it means you're constantly triggered. It means I was constantly triggered 5, 10, 12, 15 times a day while living with very severe CPTSD. It, it was almost impossible. So I went into that concept of like, you have to help me. <laughs> I'm not going to survive. And I'm telling you, that EMDR has changed my life. It has changed my life. I cannot believe the difference in maybe five sessions. That I've had, I mean, we've been, I've been in the counseling office more than that, but we've had five EMDR sessions. So, which by the way, as a plug, if you're interested in that, I have been, I have been documenting those EMDR sessions on my YouTube channel. I hope that my YouTube channel is more than just my EMDR sessions, but that's the only thing I could get up. So I have, I think four, I think I have four of those up and I'm trying, I'm editing like two more right now. So just, oh, to, I wanted to, I wanted, I thought if I could record this, I don't know. It seemed like it would be more healing for me, but then I was like, well, if I share this and somebody really resonates with the process, um, I don't know. So yeah, so I've been trying to, to vlog <laughs> doing mm-hmm. EMDR. I think in part, cause I knew it was going to heal me. I just knew this is what I need to do. I'm at the last leg and I was at the point where I was reading every book doing every exercise by myself I possibly could, doing every coping strategy that everything says, and I just knew this is what I need. So I was like, I should vlog this. It would be really cool if people could see a marked difference, you know. Yeah, so, Grace, you you talk about faith and Black womanhood. Mm -hmm. Um, In this process, how did faith or what role did faith play? you know, I, I I tend to believe that for a lot of really traumatic situations, at least the Western faith that most of us um, grew up with seems to be less helpful um, than it is helpful. To, in a lot of ways, sort of makes things worse. But I, I also think that you, um, from what I've heard from you, you're the kind of person who like really has done some deep dives in exploring faith beneath the surface of, you know, the stuff that I think isn't all that helpful at all. But how has faith played a role in this, in this process? Yeah, for me, faith is, it's everything. It's everything to me. Um, I don't have anything without it. I don't have anything Mm -hmm. without my faith. But here's, here's where I get really frustrated. And this is kind of a side note tangent, but let me tell you what I think. (laughs) (laughs) I get frustrated because people constantly confuse personal faith with the church or evangelicalism or even Christian, uh, um, the cultural Christianity. So if my faith was in cultural Christianity, 
or white evangelicalism or republicanism or whatever, um, or even the black church. Even the, my, my own black church that I was going to acted a hot mess about this stuff, just completely mm. as hot mess. Anyway, um, if my faith were in any of those things, I wouldn't be anywhere. Um, so I think what I've, I've had a pretty good grasp on my whole life is that God's people are just a bunch of messed up people like people who ain't God's people. All people suck. That's my personal view. And so all people, all of humanity. And I don't have faith in them. Why would I have faith in them? But I've always had a pretty good grasp in God does not suck. And I've never known God to be a sucky God. I think God's people suck. But then I think all people suck. So, yeah, so for me, I couldn't have made it without my faith. I mean, I just, I really have leaned in um, to prayer and and really looking for God to answer prayers and looking and praying for miracles, inviting people who I know are prayer warriors to pray for me. Um, then people who, who have just written me and said, God is telling me to pray for you. There's been so many miracles that have happened. I could literally tell you so many direct miracles that were a direct result of prayers that I was praying or other people were praying that happened, including in him, um, including in my ex and just random things that were happening financially when we were really financially desperate. So I saw God's hand working, but then I've always saw God's hand working since I was like four. I knew right away, like, I hate people, but I love God. And I think God is there for me, but God's people aren't there for me usually. So it's really, again, it's one of those things. It's not much different than it was before um, because I, I think what helped me is that I wasn't one of those people who grew up deluded thinking that everything was hunky dory. You know, I grew up knowing like, wow, I go to a racist church. (laughs) I'm around racist people constantly. My own white family members are racist and God is all I have. So I never had any delusions that the church was supposed to be a nice place for me. I never thought that. I always thought the church is a horrible place, but, but who, what, what place isn't horrible? So I was like, I might as well, if this God really loves me, then he's going to take care of me. And he has. So, mm. uh, so I had, that's why I haven't really needed to deconstruct anything. Cause all of that got de- deconstructed when I was like six, like, I was like, okay, I see what we're dealing with here. <laughs> I see what we're dealing with here. Like all these people who say they love God and really, they just hate him and hate, hate anybody who isn't like them. So, um, that's why I've, I've had to really, really grow my patience and tolerance level for white Christians deconstructing. Cause I'm like, I'm sorry that y'all are just now realizing that humans are evil, but like a lot of us have known this for like three generations. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. Grace, tell us where, tell us where, um, where we can get the book, uh, and like how we can stay connected with your journey, your story, um, and all that you're putting out in the world. Okay, so the book is available on Amazon, and the name of it is Grace, actually. And if you just search for it, actually, it does come up. And you can get it on Kindle or hard copy. And they're, they're very, very inexpensively priced because I felt like I'll save, I'll save the more expensive stuff for later. <laughs> I'm seriously $6.99 or something like that. It's really expensive. Um, but my website is graceactually.com. And I think probably the best way is to, if you really want to keep up, is to sign up for the newsletter. I, I am not a frequent newsletter person. I think I did four in 2019. <laughs> and I've had on my to-do list to do one for 2020, and I still haven't done it yet. So you will not be bombarded with emails. But I am going to use that as a way to say, hey, this is the next thing. And then the YouTube channel is out here trying to survive using Ebonics, T-R-Y-N-A, 
survive. <laughs> and that's going to be I the name of the podcast. I am just out here trying to survive. I felt like that is oh like the most gosh. honest way I could say it. Like, it, this is not anything special. This is not like Tim Ferriss. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> this is not going to be like the most profound. This is like literally just a woman literally trying to keep herself and her children alive. So, hmm. so yeah, that's going to hmm. be the name of the podcast once uh, my business partner and I get it started. We've been working on it behind the scenes. So, yeah. And then I'm pretty frequent on IG also. So I share a lot, obviously, on my IG stories. And that's Grace underscore Sandra underscore. Same for Twitter. Grace, I, I've never had a conversation quite like this before. And I'm just, I'm really grateful that we had it. I'm, I'm, I am blown away by how, how you share your story. Um again, with such joy and passion and freedom and peace. And I hope that people who listen to your story and people who you encounter um, and who you come in contact with can find that same place of joy in the midst of a bunch of stuff that's just hard. So thanks for coming on. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate it too. Wow. I want to thank Grace for taking the time to share her story with us. And for those of you who just heard that story, I want you to know that in the show notes, there are resources for any woman um, or any person who has been the victim of any sort of abuse. Um, There's resources for you to get help. There are resources for you to read. There are resources for you to continue to go on a journey of healing if, if that's if that's you um, I want to thank you for listening and I want to thank Comfort Fit for the music the song you're listening to is called Sorry I am grateful for you uh, being a subscriber to this podcast those of you who are and I want to thank all of you for helping us to contend for a better world together one conversation at a time